Today's scripture reading is from Luke 7, verses 31 through 43. Jesus went on to say, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he is a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, but she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. This is the word of the Lord. Today, we continue in our sermon series on the bridge of friendship. We are being guided during this season by a book by John Perkins. Titled, he Calls Me Friend. In this book, Dr. Perkins quotes this African proverb. When I saw you from afar, I thought you were a monster. When you got closer, I thought you were just an animal. When you got even closer, I saw that you were human. But when we were face to face, I realized that you were my brother. What a difference distance makes. From afar, some people might look like monsters, but up close, our common humanity is revealed. Jesus got up close with people. And this is especially true about his relationship with those that people knew as sinners. Those whose moral behavior led the religious people of his day to shy away. The perfect, sinless son of God. And people who were known for and judged by their sinful actions. They were unlikely companions, to say the least. In Luke 7, 34, we read 
these words. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In the Gospels, the account of Jesus' life and ministry, the phrase tax collectors and sinners appears eight times spread across all three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And all of these mentions are positive from the point of view of Jesus' mission, describing the kind of people that Jesus intentionally gathered with and shared meals with. But the text also tells us that there were those who thought Jesus' proximity, closeness, to these folks, was itself a scandal. It's true. Jesus had a reputation for befriending people who had a reputation. And what makes Jesus so remarkable is who he hung around. His circle of friendship, his his pattern of extending the social capital of God's kingdom included people known for their sinful lifestyle. What others thought about people branded as sinners and whether or not the gossip on the street about them was true didn't keep Jesus from being their bridge of friendship with God. Here's what this means for those of us who are disciples of Jesus, friends of Jesus. From here to eternity, your best friend is a friend of sinners. Of course, to those of you who know even a little bit of the theology of the church, you recognize that as good news. Since that circle of friendship includes us too. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, according to Romans 3.23. We struggle with this aspect of Jesus' ministry, his friendship and befriending sinners, because we know that, that Jesus wasn't just there to have a good time with those who were involved in illicit activities, Jesus was there to call sinners to repentance, to change lives. As sinners ourselves, which we've already established, we are vulnerable to temptation in ways that perhaps Jesus wasn't. And so in particular settings and in the company of particular others, caution does apply. And it's true that there's an undeniable morality in the teaching of Jesus. Just look at the Sermon on the Mount. There's no doubt Jesus raised the bar on righteousness. Yet all of this does not eliminate this simple truth. His focus on repentance and his focus on raising the bar of righteousness did not keep him from relating with or befriending those who in the public eye were guilty of the very things the kingdom of God calls people to leave behind. 
Take tax collectors, for instance. They were a particular kind of sinner that the people of Jesus' day roundly despised. Their sin impacted everyone, from the greatest to the least, and represented behavior that was universally understood as reprehensible. These Jews made their living by contracting with the Roman Empire, making their living collecting taxes for the military power that was occupying the land. Now, Rome only cared about getting their cut of the money. They didn't care about the extras that the tax collectors would add on. So there was no enforcement, no guidelines for that, and tax collectors were known to add fees. Whatever they added to the bill was fair game. Tax collectors took advantage of people, and the people hated them for it. Which is why it's so stunning to realize that one of Jesus' 12 disciples is one of them. Yes, a tax collector named Matthew. That Matthew, the one whose name is forever linked as the first name you encounter reading through the Bible when you get to the New Testament. But he's not the only one. Some of you are aware that Luke tells the story of another tax collector, this one being a chief tax collector named Zacchaeus. Jesus reached out to him publicly and scandalously invited himself to his home. Yet it was this close contact with a known sinner that changed a life that day and brought salvation that included financial restitution to those he had defrauded. Matthew and Zacchaeus had a new lease on life, and like so many others like them, they were now poised to be witnesses to Jesus and his power to transform the lives of those thought to be out of reach of God's grace. Friendship with Jesus begins before the cleansing is complete. And in some cases, before the wash cycle even begins. Great is the number of those who can sing from the heart this phrase from the hymn, Come Thou Font of Every Blessing. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. And this is especially so in today's gospel story from Luke chapter 7. Involving Jesus, a Pharisee named Simon, and an unnamed woman who lived a sinful life. The woman draws near to Jesus in devotion. Reading from verse 37 and 38. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. 
the text here does not mention the kind of sin that she is known for. But many readers have surmised that she is a prostitute, a sinful profession lumped in with tax collectors in one of Jesus' most scandalous proclamations in Matthew chapter 21, where he says, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. This woman's actions do indeed have intimate and even sexual overtones, especially the description of her wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. Since in Jesus' day, the cultural norm was for women, especially married women, which would be most of the female adult population, would in public wear their hair up. Letting your hair down was something for the privacy of marriage. Think about the Middle East and the various customs today. And yet with her hair being able to wipe the feet of Jesus, this was a sign in Jesus' culture of sexual availability. And Simon the Pharisee sure did notice, didn't he? In verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, so he thought this, if this man, Jesus, were a prophet, he would know who is touching him. And what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. See, as a Pharisee, Simon abided by a worldview that ensures moral purity by separation. But Jesus, it turns out, was more concerned with salvation than separation. And he knew what Simon was thinking. So as he often did, he told a brief story, a parable. So he told Simon this. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. It's quite a difference. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. The greater the sin the greater the gratitude when forgiven. For this woman, indeed for all of us, our present status as those forgiven by Jesus is more important than our checkered past. New Testament scholar Diane Chen puts it this way. This woman's past sins are a barrier to her inclusion in the religious community. Yet Jesus is not bound by the world's standards. He operates according to the inverted ethos of God's kingdom, where the poor, the outcast, and the lowly are embraced by God's mercy. Later in Luke's gospel, in chapter 15, chapter 15 that focuses on those who are lost that the Savior seeks to find. There's the lost coin and the lost son. Here in verse 7, Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Repent. 
in his book, He Calls Me Friend, John Perkins introduces his reflections on Jesus' love of sinners with the story of Josephine Butler. He writes this. Josephine Butler was a well-bred, middle-class Victorian wife and mother. The year was 1828, and women were expected to take care of the home and children. The tragic loss of her daughter caused her to, quote, plunge into the heart of some human misery and to say to afflicted people, I understand, I too have suffered. That path led her to love and serve women who were considered scum and subhuman, namely prostitutes. She responded to them with compassion and treated them with respect. She invited many of them to live with her and her family. She began opening small hospitals for prostitutes who were seriously ill and homes to house them while they learned work skills. She was able to stand firm against a roar of opposition because her actions were rooted deeply in her faith in Christ and the redemptive worth that he offered every person. Throughout the history of the church, the love of Jesus has led many missionaries to be unlikely companions with known sinners. Missiologist Dana Robert tells the story of Canadian missionary Caroline McDonald's work of prison reform in Japan in the early 20th century. When Caroline arrived in Japan, she was working for the YWCA and extending its mission there. She encountered the amazing work of Toyohiko Kagawa, a young Japanese Protestant Christian who moved into the Shinkawa slum of the city of Kobe, a neighborhood marked by filth, grinding poverty, infectious disease, violent crime, prostitution, and high infant mortality. Kagawa's holistic work among the poor included evangelism, feeding programs, and health care. Thousands of Japanese were drawn to Christianity through this potent combination of preaching the gospel and practical social work. And from this base, he founded an organization called the Friends of Jesus as an international Christian community focused on the care of the poor. While representing friendship with God in a similar way, Caroline McDonald found herself increasingly led to work in prison reform. But it was very shocking how she was led into it. She was teaching a Bible study class for her community. And at one point, one member of the class murdered his wife and two children. He was arrested and imprisoned. But a remarkable thing happened. She continued to stay connected with him, even as he was in prison and under trial. As she did, she saw firsthand the, the horrors and the humiliations of the prison system in Japan at that time and felt led by the Lord to focus her attention on helping those in prison who were societal outcasts. Some of the things that that she did over a few decades of work was that she promoted the first juvenile justice system that treated children 
in a different way. She campaigned for the humane treatment of prisoners. She developed a settlement house to assist prisoners reuniting with their families and transitioning back into society after their release. She served the needs of prison guards and families of inmates. Her motto was, to save one soul is a step towards saving the whole world. On one occasion, she provided spiritual counsel to a notorious murderer who was on death row. Jesus' words from the cross, Father, forgive them, led him to accept Jesus' offer of forgiveness and eternal friendship. His final words before his execution were written in this poem. My name is defiled. My body dies in prison. But my soul, purified, today returns to the city of God. Josephine Butler and Caroline McDonald are only two of the many who have become unlikely companions with known and despised sinners while serving Jesus faithfully. Don't be surprised if following Jesus, he leads you in a similar direction. In our friendship with Jesus, we follow where Jesus leads. So great is his love for sinners, and so powerful is the good news of his forgiving and restorative grace that we may just find him leading us closer to sinners rather than further away. After all, our sin didn't keep Jesus from making friends with us. With Jesus, no one is beyond the reach of the bridge of friendship.